Welcome to episode number 145 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about hazard monitoring for bucket elevators and drag and belt conveyors. This is actually a replay of an Ask Me Anything session that we did with Brian Knapp of 4B Components way back in July of 2020. So we've sort of had this one in the resource library at the Dust Safety Academy for over a year now. We're just getting around to being able to play this out on the Dust Safety Science podcast for the audience that's listening here today. In today's episode, we're going to be talking through the first half of this Ask Me Anything session. Uh, we're going to go through what is the common ignition sources in elevators and conveying equipment like this. We're going to talk about testing and maintenance. What sort of hazard monitoring are we looking at? Um, another consideration about the equipment. You know, do you recommend temperature or vibration monitoring? Do you recommend plug sensors? Um, these are all questions that we asked Brian during this Ask Me Anything session. If you've never been to one of these Ask Me Anything sessions, these are open sessions that we hold inside the Dust Safety Academy. We bring on experts in particular areas and people can just ask questions on that topic. So in the Ask Me Anything session we did that's shown here, it was on hazard monitoring for bucket elevators and dragging bell conveyors. We had Brian on just sharing his expertise and folks come in live, actually ask questions in that hour long session. Uh, if you want to become a member of the Dust Safety Academy, it's free. It's free to attend these sessions um, and you can do that at dustsafetyacademy.com, become a member there. So without further ado, we'll go into this Ask Me Anything session with myself and Brian Knapp from 4B Components. So this is a Ask Me Anything session on hazard monitoring for bucket elevators and drag and belt conveyors. We have Brian Knapp, Vice President of Electronics Division for 4B Components, based out of Illinois. Brian has 15 years experience um, in grain and feed industries, focused on hazard monitoring systems and components. And he also spoke about this topic as, at the Digital Dust Safety Conference 2020, uh, which you have access to in the, the members area. So if you go down and click on the conference, I believe Brian's presentation was on day three, but you might search through and find his name. Um, he did a really, good pres pres really great presentation on this topic as well. So Brian, I think a good place to jump in is just what are some of the, the common ignition sources for elevators and, and conveying equipment that we're talking about today? Yeah, thanks for the introduction, Chris. Yeah, the, uh, the bucket elevators are, are a commonly monitored machine in, in let's say, grain handling or other uh, environments with dust hazards. Primary ignition sources could be belt slip, where you have the head pulley that's driven by a motor. When the uh, belt starts to slip, you have friction that's generating between the motor that's or the pulley that's turning at a different speed than the belt. And that's going to generate heat. And you experience the same thing with people probably experience this with vacuum cleaners. The belt burns off, a really bad smell, but there's also a lot of heat generated when you have that uh, uh, ignition source in there, then that, that can cause a fire and explosion um, with the dust that's in the air. And in a, in a bucket elevator, obviously, you've got a lot of material that's, that's being flung around. So, so there's a lot of dust being generated. Other ignition sources can be the belt misaligning. So your belt can, can shift one way or another. And um, sometimes it's just when the, the material feeds in, it kind of shifts over for a little bit, comes back to the center. Other times, the belt can be a little bit loose and it stays over to the side. And as it's rubbing against the machine casing, you get friction between the belt and the machine. That can generate a lot of heat, also damaging the, uh, the equipment. You know, it, it causes damage to the belt. It causes damage to the, to the housing of the, the elevator. And then uh, the other major one is, is bearings. 
uh, your bearings or ultimately every bearing is going to fail. When that happens, you're going to generate heat and, and that heat could ignition, ignition, ignite, sorry, uh, grain dust. Even if it's external to the, even if it's external to the leg casing, you can have dust accumulate on those bearings. You have dust layering on top of the bearings, which is uh, something unique to dust as opposed to, to gas hazards where, where that dust layering um, is going to reduce the, the temperature required to ignite the dust uh, as opposed to when the dust is, is airborne. Um, so those, those are three typical ignition sources. Uh, if we talk about bucket elevators, they're present in bucket elevators. They're also present in belt conveyors. A uh, bucket elevator is, is elevating the material up and discharging it at a higher elevation. Uh, a belt conveyor is generally horizontal. It might be a slight incline. But it's really the same equipment. One's just vertical, one's horizontal. The, the drag conveyors we, we talked about are a little bit different because you don't have the belt. So you don't have slippage. You don't have belts misaligning. The, the chain's on a sprocket, so it doesn't misalign unless the sprocket comes loose on the shaft. But you still have the bearings to monitor on those on those drag conveyors because again you're you're gonna have essentially four bearings on each of those machines those bearings need maintenance even with maintenance you're, you're eventually going to have a situation where where they're going to start to overheat that makes sense um a couple things there so you have three set types of ignition sources belt slip belt alignment and you see this when you see the nice curved scorch marks at the top of the bucket yes, elevators yes. you know you have missed that's a that's a a less effective way to monitor. <laughs> monitor yeah, the yeah, we're going to be not, talking not, about today. <laughs> not meant to be a visual uh, indication. Uh, that if yeah, if you've gone that too far, it's it's too far. Um, yeah, you're, you're lucky that you haven't had an explosion already. Yeah. Well, we did a training on grain and feed mill explosions a couple of weeks ago that that I gave and showed some pictures of a facility that had all of that but didn't actually yes. have an explosion. But it's just uh, ripe and waiting. And yeah, the third yeah. one was bearings. Yeah, and in addition to the belt misalignment, when you're talking about scorch marks, it just came to mind as pulleys do have the ability to misalign. And what we found, you would think if a pulley misaligns, the belt's going to misalign with it. But the pulleys are wider than the belt, for one, and the belt may not track over with the pulley. So, so particularly at the head section of these elevators, monitoring pulleys is important because the pulley could misalign and it's easy to detect. Um, down at the boot section where you have the take up and the pulleys can go up and down, it's a little more challenging. But uh, but pulley misalignment is is another aspect, and, and it's it's a little bit different on bucket elevators than belt conveyors. In that case, especially in closed belt conveyors, at the tail section, uh, they tend to have pieces of rubber that that are I've, I've typically heard them referred to as flippers, and they reload. The, the dust back up onto the belt. So the dust gets, gets kind of pulled back along the return side and it gets reloaded back onto the, onto the belt. And, and so it, it's more difficult to monitor those, those flippers or it's, it takes a different technique anyway to monitor those flippers as it would to, to detect a solid you know, pulley that's got an edge that you're trying to, to detect. Yeah, I think, so I'll summarize to make sure that we have it right for people that are tuning in this session, but a bucket of later most people know what that is, but it's you know, it's a top and a bottom and, and goes around and then the buckets pick up the material and, and drop it off and elevate the material up. A mm-hmm. belt conveyor would be the kind of typical ones you see where it's flat and on rollers and the material is just dropped on and they go horizontally or maybe a slight incline. 
mm-hmm. and a, a drag yeah. conveyor has drag yeah. paddles. I don't know if that's the right word, but has uh, paddles on it to pick them up. They may have paddles, flights, uh, the flights, and and the, the the material typically feed through the, the the return side. In this case, is the top, and it'll drop through the top, and it'll drag back along the bottom, and it just pulls it um, to the to the destination. So it tend to be slower moving, I would say, than belt conveyors, uh, yeah. because you need to have that that sort of uh, in mass conveying it, if you pull it too fast, then the top part's kind of rolling backwards as the bottom's pulled forward and yep. does more damage at higher speeds as well. That gives a good idea of what the sort of ignition source are, what the equipment are. What types of equipment are you using to then to monitor these hazards that, that you mentioned? For like the, the belt slip, typically there'd be a, a speed sensor that's that's mounted onto the bottom of the bucket elevator, the tail shaft, the boot shaft. So the, we were talking about the motors driving the head pulley, and that's going to go at a fixed rate of speed. We want to monitor when the, the belt is slowing down. So the belt is driving the, the bottom pulley. And so if we know what the normal running speed of that pulley is, and we monitor that continuous speed and detect if it drops. And the, the OSHA requirement in their 1910.272 is to shut down the leg if the speed drops by 20% of, of normal running speed. That can get a little bit tricky in some applications because if if it's not a fixed speed motor that's running on that uh, head pulley, you have a differential or you have a, a variable speed drive, then you need to be able to determine is the, the belt slowing down because the motor is reduced in speed or because the belt's slipping. In that case, we would add another speed sensor up at the top. So you'd have one at the top, one at the bottom. We're comparing the the, the two. And if, if the top one stays the same, the bottom slows down by 20%, we know that there's a, a slippage. You want to shut the, the motor off to prevent damage to the belt um, and you know, the ignition uh, risk as well. That's uh, the speed monitoring. For, for belt alignment, there's, there's multiple technologies to do that. If we're looking at bucket elevators, um, you, you're going to have the, the bucket elevator enclosed. Um, so, so primarily you would mount something looking at the, the edge of the belt. So you got your belt that can kind of go side to side and you'd want something that would pick it up when it comes over too far. There's one technology that's, that's been around for a long time is rub blocks. And, and it's a brass block with a temperature probe in it. And then when the belt rubs, it's generating heat. So, so you're, you're monitoring the, the heat generated by the belt in that brass block. Historically, those, those have had some, some deficiencies many years ago. That, that was, and it's still very popular today, but that was a popular item, but it would have like a thermostat type temperature sensor on it. So what temperature do you decide to alarm at? Well, as high as you can possibly go. I think uh, a lot of them were around 200 degrees Fahrenheit. And, and so... What tends to happen, as I mentioned earlier, you may just have the belt misaligned a little bit when you put a load on there. And then once the belt's fully loaded, it comes back to the center. And in that case, you might start wearing through that brass. And so you get a groove in the block and you never get an alarm. And then the belt's rubbing against the machine casing and not heating up the brass anymore. And, and so you've lost your protection. Currently, it's, it's much more common to use continuous temperature monitoring on there. So you have a screen. It tells you, okay, the, that block's 70 degrees, and then you can see it 
goes up to 120 degrees and the the trip point will be adjustable so you can you can adjust that so you find out 200 degrees is too hot maybe so you lower it down commonly it's probably more like 140 130 120 something like that for a for an alarm temperature on those or they may even compare you've got two sides of the belt that you're monitoring if the one on one side goes 30 degrees above the other side then then there's, there may be a problem the the other technology um, is is using a force activated misalignment sensor where where you get belt comes over it makes contact and, and immediately you get an alarm uh, different companies like uh, different different end users tend to have different policies on on what they require and, and what temperatures and time delays and, and things like that to to alarm and shut down the equipment at but uh, it's important to know what your what your sensors are and how they work and for, for like those those brass blocks it's it's very important to inspect them regularly so that you know they're not being worn through um, yeah we have seen um i haven't seen a public report but i have talked to some investigators um after some large explosions where they're looking for ignition source and they they find the the rub blocks are completely cut through and that's you know the, then that rubbing aids casing is what caused the, the ignition so you do need to monitor those i think there's some good questions around that um, in terms of maintenance and testing i think before we can get into maintenance is there, is there like a calibration phase? Because you, you mentioned you have to set temperature that you want to alarm at. So what does calibration it's, of these type of equipment look like it's, at the early it's, it's generally more of a policy for, okay. for a company on those, those temperature sensors. Um, some will, will just say once it, once it reaches a specific temperature that, that that's your alarm. They may have two different levels. One to, to trigger a, a horn to notify the employees there's a problem. And then another temperature. If it gets beyond the first one and hits the second temperature, that it shuts down automatically. But but it can be based on comparing two sensors to one another. It can be comparing a sensor to an ambient temperature. It can be rate of rise. How quickly is that that temperature rising compared to to what it was ten seconds ago, uh, for example? But I mean, there's there's different technologies, and I mentioned it's important to know which type you have and and what you need to do to maintain it, but but even probably more important than that is making sure that they're they're physically located in the right position because we do have a service team that goes out and inspects these you know our products and makes sure everything's installed properly and one of the things we find regularly is is the sensors are mounted in a position that either they may not detect the the misalignment at all or in the case of on, on a bucket elevator that boot pulley we talked about it can be you know they may have 12 inches of travel they may have 20 inches of travel and so you've got this this whole range that you're looking to monitor the belt. Well, if you mount the sensor down here, and then they replace the belt or resplice the belt, and the pulley moves up here, then you're not seeing the the, the belt anymore. So, so I mean, positioning of the sensors and, and installation in general with these systems is is really one key aspect of it. Because if it's not positioned right, then nothing else matters. That makes a lot of, a lot of sense. You got to be sensing on the right location and the right yeah. thing otherwise you're you're uh, you might miss the boat when something happens yeah um, and the the other condition the other ignition source we were talking about was bearing temperature and, and monitoring those it's 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 usually more straightforward the amount of probe in the in the bearing and, and it monitors the temperature there's a there's a grease fitting that's already in the bearing and most of these sensors you can just remove the grease fitting replace it with the sensor 
and then you've got to grease through the sensor so you don't have to take it out to, to grease the bearings. But you know, we've seen situations where they've they've replaced a bearing and not put the, the probe back in, so then you just have a probe sitting there and, and so whether it's the, the manufacturer or somebody else or just the, the site themselves, uh, it's it's important to, to inspect these things and test things uh, regularly so that you don't get into a situation where you have something bypassed and and you have all the tools there to, to make sure that you don't have a fire and explosion, but, but you have it anyway. I mean, you kind of touched on it a bit, but maybe we'll expand on that. What kind of maintenance should people be doing across these different types of sensors and checks and you know, what, what should they be doing there? So our, our recommendation would be that, that when, it's, when it's initially installed that you go through and, and, and inspect and test everything. So whether it's going to a controller um, that's, that's a standalone controller, it's going back to a PLC or an automation system at the facility. They, they you go through and test uh, test the speed sensors to make sure when you do get the underspeeds that that you uh, that you get the signals in the PLC and that all the equipment responds appropriately. So so you know um, equipment manufacturers uh, for the hazard monitoring stuff should have testing tools available to to assist you with that. You have a, a tester that you go to the, the temperature sensors. And you can heat up the probes and verify that. Okay, when it reaches 140 degrees, for example, that, that the PLC shuts off the equipment feeding this machine, and then when it gets to 150, it shuts down the, the machine automatically. And so there's that initial testing and, and, and commissioning phase of it. But then beyond that, it, it's going to depend on the facility, how often the equipment is running. Um, we, would, we would suggest doing a full test on everything at least annually but but frequently or often these facilities may need it more more frequently than that because you may have facilities that are you know, like a, an ethanol or processing facility of some sort that's the truck operating 24 7 there's there's a lot more time on that equipment than if it's a seasonal facility that that only runs during harvest so so it's it it's a a bit of a cop-out i guess it, it depends but but at least annually, you need to, to, to test these things out, and, and more than likely, you'll need it more often than that. Do is there requirements around like greasing and, and other preventive maintenance activities besides the testing as well? Um, that should be done pretty frequently. As far as the the maintenance behind greasing, that's that's going to be regulated or, or, or recommended by the the bearing manufacturer, for example, um, and I think. They typically do it by so many, so many maybe runtime hours, or if, again, if it's seasonal, they may have a backup that so many months in between, and they have differing um, requirements on on how much grease and how you determine that you've greased it enough. Um, I think you can see that in some some applications, you may see the temperature go up when they're when they're greasing bearings. You, you have more friction initially. Um, is that that grease fills a cavity. I think that's more likely to happen in high-speed applications as well. Some people ask about monitoring vibration on bearings is, a, is another uh, method of detecting failures. And um, I, th- I think there's, there can be value in it, but it's, it's a lot more complicated than, than people realize when you look at monitoring vibration in bearings. It's not just uh, 
a single number that you get from that. If you if you really look into the vibration analysis, it's more of a it's that it's an analysis that they've got waveforms that, that some of these companies will, will will do this for you that they'll put a sensor on your your bearings measuring all the the information with the vibration and speed and and um, and acceleration and getting these these waveforms getting a baseline comparing it to that but it's 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 a really complicated process um, and I think in in, in these dust hazard environments, it's, it's really important to know that you're not exceeding uh, an ignition point of temperature. So, so I think you should have temperature monitoring on the bearings uh, and then vibration could be an additional tool to, to help you uh, try to, to get different analytics on it. Maybe, maybe find issues before there's, there's a, a problem that's heating it up. But um, I think it also tends to be more of a, a tool that on high speed and, and things that require a lot of uh, balance, the vibration can be a, a very useful tool. But we're generally looking at these bucket elevators and conveyors that are going 40, 50, 60 RPM, and, and they're not uh, real precision machines. They're, yes. they're rough and tumble sort of things. That makes sense. And let me just take a look at some of the questions here. Because... Um, there was some around um, using temperature versus vibration monitoring. So we sort of covered that. And you're, you're really saying that the temperature monitor is sort of your baseline tool that you'd recommend going to. You can add vibration monitoring in. Maybe it can give you um, even a, a more leading indicator if something's wrong. But there is, I'm sure they need Fourier transforms and all sorts of stuff to analyze. Right. The, uh, right. The There's nuances. Yeah. There's nuances to it. And I think to, to do it, that uh, that in depth, there's there's a significant cost to it as well. Okay, I the other one that um, we pulled out of your uh, your presentation at the Digital Dust Safety Conference were were plug sensors, and I assume that's mm-hmm. sort of the same as a choke sensor. Yeah, it might be worth talking about those as well. What's uh, how do those work? Okay, yeah. So so on on all three of those machines, the bucket elevators, the belt conveyors, and the drag conveyors, you're you're feeding material from from one point and discharging it at another point, and if if that discharge gets blocked, then the material is just going to start filling the machine and, and causing basically it becomes overloaded and then things that are not supposed to happen are going to happen. So so with the plug or choke switches, you're you're monitoring the, the you're still getting a discharge from that machine. Um, sometimes it's, it's feeding a silo and the silo may overfill and then the spouting gets filled and, and then it backs up or, or you may just have some sort of debris get into the, into the spouting and, and choke it up. So there's, there's different technologies for this as well, but, but essentially you're just going to have a sensor that's, that's you, you may have a spout, you got a sensor that's kind of on the top of the spout, which is going to be out of the flow of material. The flow is not going to completely fill the spout until it's plugged. And then when it, gets plugged up, it starts to back up, hits that sensor, and then gives you gives you an indication that there's a, a plug condition, in which case you generally want to re- react immediately and shut the machine off. The, the consequence of a plug condition in itself, the plug is not your ignition source, but it's going to lead to the material backing into the machine, uh, whether it's a bucket elevator or conveyor. And as it backs up, uh, if it's belt driven, the belts are going to start to misalign. The belts could start to slip. 
um, on the chain, you know, it's, it's going to start to, to overload the motor. The, the chain could break. So that can be more of a preventive maintenance, but when chain breaks, you're going to have metal on metal and, and, and that's things you want to avoid as well, which could be heat, could be, uh, in some cases, maybe sparks uh, generated as well. So, so the plug indication is is kind of a pre-hazardous uh, condition monitoring. But with some with some of the conditions we've talked about, uh, some some policies may allow the the customer to continue to run the equipment to try to clear out. So, like if you've got a bucket elevator that's fully loaded, it's not necessarily ideal to to shut it down under full load. So you get a bearing that's starting to heat up. Maybe you'll shut the feed off to the to the bucket elevator and allow it to clear out before you shut it down. In the instance of a plug condition, there's no reason to allow it to continue to run because it's just going to pack with more and more material. So, so you really don't have a choice but to shut it down under load in that case. So we're going to close out this week's podcast episode there. I want to thank Brian for being a contributor in the Dust Safety Academy for coming in for this Ask Me Anything session on hazard monitoring. Again, in this episode, we covered um, common ignition sources, what type of hazard monitoring devices are available, testing and maintenance, and some other considerations. In the second half of the Ask Me Anything session, which we'll cover next week on the podcast, we talk about what should we do when a system actually alarms, what kind of normal and baseline conditions are used for these type of sensors. We talk about equipment certification, why is it important to use electronics with third-party NRTL approvals, um, why can't we use Class 1 sensors, that are approved for class one and class two environments, what does the certification process look like, and any recommendations that Brian has for wireless hazard monitoring. As I mentioned at the outset, if you want to join the Dust Safety Academy, it's free to do so. You can go to dustsafetyacademy.com and join there. You can join in on these Ask Me Anything sessions, on the training sessions we have on very specific topics given by experts around the world. We're up just taking up over a 1,000 members in the Dust Safety Academy today, so it's really a great place to go and get your questions answered for combustible dust. There's a community forum there. We upload video and document resources every week. And of course, we do these Ask Me Anything and training sessions live for the community there as well. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. And I appreciate everything you're doing. Industries handling combustible dust, making them safer with the work that you do every day.